0: O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath, for your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There's no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There's no health in my bones because of my sin, for my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They're too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I'm utterly bowed down and prostrate all the day. I go about mourning. For my sides are filled with burning, and there's no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs. My strength fails me. And the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. Those are the first 10 verses of Psalm 38, which is the psalm appointed for today, Wednesday, October the 20th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along. We're continuing a look at uh, the the Book of Lamentations, which was written by Jeremiah. We're in the second chapter today, verses eight through fifteen. We're continuing our study in First Corinthians. Uh, the chapter is fifteen, and the and verses fifty one to fifty eight. And then the gospel is uh, the gospel according to Matthew, the twelfth chapter, the first fourteen verses. So. Yeah, it's the the passage from Lamentations needs little to no comment. I mean, I I will whenever I feel there's a need to, but but it's it's so eloquently written and it has the only context is 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 that Jeremiah is watching Jerusalem die essentially, and, and it's the devastation that's happening there. And remember also a sort of backdrop, but also foreground is that um, Jesus, remember, is telling the disciples that the temple itself is going to pass away, and it does within um, just like a few decades after the death of Jesus. And so he's telling them what will come. He's speaking prophetically, and it does indeed fall in AD 70, and it's never been restored to the people. Jesus appeared at the moment in history that makes any sense there's a there's a radical change about to happen the old is passing away and the new is is coming and so you've got to remember all these things in that context jeremiah sees the destruction of the temple but that temple that that he sees and the city that he sees will be rebuilt but after jesus when the temple falls that's the end there is no other temple that's been constructed since then. There's a lot of plans made for constructing one now, but it's contingent on a million different things. And, and what we're told in the book of Revelation is there will be no temple because there's no need, because God's presence is in the midst of the city. So <clears throat> let's get started and read through Lamentations 2, 8-15. The Lord determined to lay in ruins the wall of the daughter of Zion. And so what Jeremiah is doing is assuring us, all of us, uh, including his listeners at the time, was that this is God's plan. This was according to God. And remember in the passage that I read from Psalm 38 that it begins with, don't discipline me in your anger and your wrath. In in other words, let that abate. (laughs) I understand my sins Are there, and that's he he takes full responsibility for the problems that he's going through by by, by talking about sin, and and so Jeremiah begins here by saying this was the Lord's doing. It, It may look like the king of Babylon did this, but he was only the instrument through whom God's plan was realized. The Lord determined to lay in ruins the wall of the daughter of Zion. He stretched out the measuring line. He did not restrain his hand from destroying. He caused rampart and wall to lament. They languished together. Her gates have sunk into the ground. He has ruined and broken her bars. Her king and princesses, princes are among the nations, the law is no more, and her prophets find no vision from the Lord. In other words, everything is devastated, both physically and spiritually in the land. You, you get this horrific picture of what had once been the, the wonder, one of the wonders of the world, which was the city of Jerusalem and the temple therein, reduced to nothing other than these gates sinking into the ground and everything else just collapsed all around. But it's not just a physical destruction, it's also a spiritual destruction. The elders of the daughter of Zion sit on the ground in silence. They have thrown dust on their heads and put on sackcloth. The young women of Jerusalem have bowed their heads to the ground. My eyes are spent with weeping. My stomach churns. My bile is poured out on the ground because of the destruction of the daughter of my people, because infants and babies faint in the streets of the city. They cry to their mothers, Where is bread and wine as they faint like a wounded man in the streets of the city, as their life is poured out on their mother's bosom? What can I say for you? To what compare you, O daughter of Jerusalem? What can I liken to, you, liken to you that I may comfort you, O virgin daughter of Zion? For your ruin is as vast as the sea. Who can heal you? What a powerful image that is. Jeremiah seeks to, to comfort, wants so desperately to comfort, and is trying to find some analogy by which he can, he can compare the daughter of Zion. But the ruin is as vast as the sea, and who can heal you? And we know the answer to that, the one who has done this affliction. And, and he does through Nehemiah and through Ezra and through Zechariah who oversees the rebuilding of the temple in that time. He says, Your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions, that they have not exposed your iniquity to restore your fortunes, but have seen for you oracles that are false and misleading. All who pass along the way clap their hands at you. They hiss and wag their heads at the daughter of Jerusalem. Is this the city that was called the perfection of beauty, the joy of all the earth? And it's the same thing that Nehemiah finds when he comes in his day, he finds this ruin and, and sort of this pathetic little band of people there living in this place, and, and he knows what was formerly there. I've seen that idea. in When I went to Rwanda, and my driver there, who drove me all over the country, his name was Fred, and Fred had never once been to Rwanda until after the genocide. And after the genocide, he was in his late 20s, and I said, how long did you wait to come back? Because he had been in Uganda with his family in exile all, all his life. He said, oh, I was here 60 days after the genocide ended. And I said, why would you have come back so quickly? He said, because this is my homeland and I wanted to help rebuild it. And there were many exiles who came back after that genocide and chose to rebuild after that. They, they could have left it a waste, but they decided, no, this is my home. And they had pride in their country, and so they came back and did it, and that's what Nehemiah did. And remember, he had to put up with the taunts of those who were watching this uh, the rebuilding and said, oh, even a fox could jump on those walls and, and break it down, and so is this the city that was called the perfection of beauty, the joy of all the earth? It's a it's thing that resonates, and I'm afraid that we have many false and deceiving prophets among us today who signify all is well, all is well. These things will change. You'll see. I mean, there's so many weird conspiracy theories that people believe out there. I mean, I hear these things all the time, both left and right, that they believe Somehow or another, their their vision is going to be established in spite of the fact that that they don't even have the power to do it. Oh, no, 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 there's a power behind the power that's going to make this happen. It's a very strange idea, but I hear it a lot. So um, Jeremiah is saying there is no hope. And they had to come through this period of mourning into acceptance in order to be able to then... to to come back when the Lord led them back to that place. And, that, and what he tells them through the book of Jeremiah is to accept that your fate, build houses, marry, let your children be given in marriage, all those things, because you're going to be here a while. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus speaks of at that that time he's going through the grain fields on the Sabbath and his disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and eat. Now the Pharisees had a problem with that. (laughs) They said, look your disciples are doing what's not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And this would be one of the examples of the Pharisees tying up heavy burdens on people that they're not willing to bear themselves because just walking along they're just taking handfuls of grain and crushing it between their uh, hands in order to release the edible portion of the grain. But but that's by this point in time, the law has become so restrictive that that's considered harvesting and threshing. And so therefore it's work that you can't do on the Sabbath. And, And Jesus gives a remarkable answer to this, and it's got to have been offensive right from the jump, right? Because have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him to eat? nor for those who were with him but only for the priests. I mean their first objection to this would be wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you comparing yourself to David? But that's what Jesus does. He begins with comparing this situation to what David did when he was on the run from Saul and he and his men were famished and came to the prophet or to the to the temple and and ate in that place. It was not the temple at that time, by the way, it was the tabernacle, sorry. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? They're guiltless for performing work on the Sabbath because their work is a service to the Lord, and so that's not part of the prohibition on work for the Sabbath. So that's what Jesus is saying. So he's compared himself to David and to the priests in what he does, but he doesn't stop there. (laughs) I tell you something greater than the temple is here. Let me ask you a quick question. This is a very simple question. What is greater than the temple? The God whose temple it is. I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. I mean, hey, he was just getting warmed up when he compared himself to David and the priests. Something greater is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And so the guiltless here are... The disciples, whom they have just condemned, and Jesus then says, For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, I am the one who is the Lord here, I'll be the one who determines and decides who's working and breaking the Sabbath, just like I do with the priests in the temple. I mean, this is an increasingly dramatic statement of who Jesus says that he is. It begins with David, then goes to the priests in the temple service, and then I'm greater than the temple, and then now the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Extraordinary claim. Don't let anybody tell you Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. Don't let anybody ever tell you that he claimed to be anything other than the Son of God, the very Son of God incarnate. He went on from there and entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. And he said to them, which of you has a sheep, if it falls in a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out, which is allowable under the law. You you had the the ability under the law, the freedom, I guess, under the law to, to save something from death. And so here, Jesus says... <clears throat> lifts that exemption up and says of how much more value is a man than a sheep. So it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. There's more to this prohibition than just saving a life. It's also preserving that life and making sure that no further harm comes. And so it's restoring something to fullness. And so that's what Jesus claims is is that how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand, and the man stretched it out, and it was restored healthy like the others. And this is the craziest ending to that story, I because mean, what would you do if you saw that happen, right? I mean, you stand there in amazement, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. What an unusual reaction to a man doing something that they had no power to do and healing a man with a withered hand. You would think that they would proclaim Messiah had come. Instead, they decide they want to destroy him. Unbelievable. In the 1 Corinthians passage today, Paul says, Behold, I'm going to tell you a mystery. Remember, he's been talking about the resurrection from the dead and, and what kind of body that is uh, that comes back from the dead. He said, We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And what he's saying is, is everybody's not going to die. The world's not going to come to a cataclysmic end where everybody dies and then everybody is resurrected. He's saying that that everybody will not die, but we will all be changed. Even those who are living when the end comes will not be the same going forward into eternity. He said, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Everybody gets a new body, whether they're dead or alive at that time. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. Something that decays is a perishable body, and the imperishable body is one that does not decay, does not degrade. And I appreciate that more and more the older I get. And this mortal body, he says, must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And then he goes on to answer the question, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing... That, the, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You're not wasting your time, no matter what you do, whether you see any result for it or not. He says your labor is not in vain. I, I was listening to Tony Evans this morning, heard him, and he was speaking about the not the saints in Hebrews 11 who are sort of named, and then some description is given of them, but those who are just named. And then he goes on to talk about the, there are others those unnamed others who are there in Hebrews 11, and talks about those others and their sufferings. And then he goes on to talk about the saints of the Old Testament in a way that says none of these people saw the fullness of what they were called to do. Abraham never saw the, the possession of the land. Moses didn't get to see the conquest of the land. Joshua didn't get to see the full conquest. David didn't get to see the temple built. All these things, and yet they continued, and they persevered in their labor, and then they handed it off to others who would finish that work. But we're called to labor, and to continually labor, and to to trust in the Lord, to trust in the one who is indeed the Lord of the Sabbath, to trust indeed in the one who has created all things and who has redeemed all things through his death we know who this man is let us labor on his behalf we may never see the fullness of the vision that god gives us but let's never give up on the vision and never give up on the work that we've been given to do in pursuit of that vision